It is great to be able to uh, be up here and to serve you as an elder here at Riverside. And as he said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Craig, and I'm just so excited um, about what we get to dive into uh, this morning. So we just finished a three-part sermon series, uh, a really good encouragement as we started the year. Uh, we spoke about some things that are so important to our faith and to relationship with Jesus. Those were faith, hope, and love. And last week, Steve ended off with the greatest of these being love. And we're going to stay there for a little bit over the next two weeks because this is so critical uh, to who we are as Riverside Community Church. We love and we try to love as much as we can, which is why you're always hearing us talking about our midweek life groups where we try to get uh, everyone that calls this place home into deeper relational community where you can experience love. Some of you have maybe been on the receiving end of our meals ministry where uh, something has maybe happened in your family and someone has arrived with some meals for you. Uh, You've been uh, involved in receiving from our care fund. Some of you give into our care fund. We just try to love really, really well here at Riverside. But not only do we attempt to love uh, all of you who call this place home, a huge focus about what we do as a church is to love those who don't call this place home. You see, one of the things that is a big deal for us, and you can see it over there, is we're for the world and we're for the king. We just want to love everyone. And this is what we see modeled in the life of Jesus. If you have to read uh, through the Gospels and you get to see and analyze the life of Jesus, it becomes very clear that the way Jesus lived his life was to deliberately engage with people who were not loved. The people who were considered uh, sellouts, outcasts, drunkards, uh, prostitutes, tax collectors, people who were hated by society, Jesus regularly engaged with them. He sought them out and he spent time with them. In fact, the religious leaders, the religious elite teachers of the law, they try to use that as a way to kind of shame Jesus publicly. Oh, there's Jesus. He's he's the one that eats with drunkards and gluttons. Uh, He's the one who spends time with tax collectors and, and prostitutes. Like that was a bad thing. But no, that's what Jesus and his followers modeled for us. And all of those people that he spent time with ended up being the leaders of the early church. But when we kind of hear this, I know that I'm, I'm aware that there are some tensions that start to come up in our lives. When we start to hear things like, oh, look at the people who Jesus spent time with. And I just want to try and get some of those tensions out the way this morning as we get into God's Word. Tension number one is we live in the city of Johannesburg. What is one of the main emotions that come with living in the city. It's fear, right? I know that so many of us in this room have been either personally victims of violent crime or we know of someone who has been a victim uh, of, of violent crime. And when we think about our city and we think about the kind of people that I've just mentioned that Jesus modeled for us and hung out with, we go, yo, Craig, that's dangerous, <laughs> And especially if I'm going to go to those kinds of people in this city, no, we avoid them. 
And I avoid them for good reason because I have experienced crime. It's just not safe for me to go to a number of places in our city. And the way we live our lives in the city is to avoid many places. There's places that we do not go to at night for good reason. The way we live our lives with our security systems, our states, our high walls, all our security systems and the security companies that we pay to have our you know, rapid response systems in place, we live in a culture of fear. It's a tension that we live with when we're going to be thinking about some of the things we're going to be speaking about today. And it's a very real tension that I know so many of us live with. And the second tension just to get it out the way, is this tension that, Craig, I can't make a difference because I'm not a strong Christian. I, I can't engage with those kinds of people that you've just mentioned that Jesus kind of modeled how to do life and faith and, and who he sorts out. So that's, I'm just, I don't know enough. I've not been a Christian for a long enough time. You, you know, I don't know all the answers. I'll just stick into the people that are Christians in a church. That's for like you super Christians. And I know those two tensions exist in our lives. They existed in mine for a very long time. But hopefully by uh, the end of our time today, we're going to think about how we can lay some of those tensions aside and live into what Jesus is calling us to. So with that aside, I want to take us through what I call the brutal facts. Right, this city of Johannesburg. So as of January uh, 2022, how many people lived in the province of Gauteng? So 15 and a half million people live in the province of Gauteng. Now, there's estimated to be about 10% of our province that follow Jesus and walk in obedience to him. So I'm not a great mathematician, some of you are. So 10% of 15.5 million is 1.5 million people follow Jesus and walk in obedience. Which means how many people don't? 13 and a half million people, roughly. 13 and a half million people in our province are not in a relationship with Jesus. That means 13 and a half million people are living without hope in this life and in the life to come. If we break that down a little bit more, 70% of our province live informally, living on less than seven and a half. That's the average salary per household in Johannesburg is 7,500 rand a month. And in our province, more than 300 languages are spoken. So that figure of lostness, the 13 and a half million are actually in places that we condition ourselves not to go to. And this is really hard. And this is what I sit with every single day as we think about how do we love those people who are not here? Because they actually don't look like me and they don't speak like me and they don't live like me. And we're sitting with an overwhelming, I don't want to say problem, but reality, an overwhelming reality of what is going on in our province and in our city. 
Last Saturday night, some friends, of our, some friends and I went to a part of our city called Mayfair. It's in the inner city near the CBD. And we went on Saturday night. And uh, that area is um, it's also known, and it's called by people affectionately, as Little Mogadishu. Because there's about a six-block radius where you only find Somalians and Ethiopians. And for the first time, uh, I met someone from Sudan. And this Sudanese man that I met is actually the Arabic grammar teacher in the Islamic school in that little community. And uh, we were locking down a, a coffee date because we had a great conversation and he wants to chat some more. So we were busy, busy trying to lock that down. But what that means is I, I can't get to Sudan. I can't go to Sudan and openly speak about the gospel, but on Saturday night, I was able to openly speak to him about my love for Jesus and how he changed my life. There were a number of Somalians who came and leaned into that conversation, as well as a handful of Ethiopians. We were a large courtyard that eventually got filled with people hearing us talk about Jesus. So what it uh, always entrenches for me is I can't go to those places. You can't. It's illegal to openly proclaim the gospel for many of those countries, but I'm able to do it in my city. And that's less than 20 kilometers down the road. And then just a little bit further this way is the beautiful community of Lanasia. You know, the interesting facts about Lanasia is that it is the largest community of uh, Indians outside of India in the world. 98% Hindu and Muslim. Where we are situated as a church, we have some of the best access to places where otherwise would never hear the hope of Jesus in this life and in the life to come. That I am convinced, and in fact, nobody can convince me otherwise because the stats are there. And people who think about uh, global Christianity and who think about uh, the gospel moving to places that it's never gone to before recognize Johannesburg as the single most important city for the kingdom of God on the planet. Because of how many people are present in our city, two kilometers from this spot here is a community called Jackson's. Jackson's Drift, we have had to source Bibles in 14 different languages. And sometimes when we have meetings there, we need three different translators, but I'll speak a little bit more about that. Two kilometers from here, 14 different languages spoken that we've found so far. And if there is a vision to reach people who do not know Jesus in our city, we're reaching the world. Because if we figure out how to take the gospel from here to people who haven't heard, just in our city, just 15 kilometers from here, you're taking the gospel potentially to Sudan and to Somalia and to Somaliland and to Ethiopia and to places where it is illegal to speak about Jesus. But 13 and a half million people is overwhelming, right? But then I read this in Acts 19, and this gives me incredible hope. So why don't you turn there, if you have a Bible of some kind, 
Turn with me to Acts chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse 8. So I don't want this to be this like, uh, if you feel guilty, then I'm, this isn't about you guys feeling guilty, but rather giving you a vision and inspiring you for what is happening and what God is doing and to uh, join him there. So Acts 19 verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. One of the things that Christianity was called back then was the way, uh, just because the way they lived was so different. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, sometimes when, if you read the book of Acts, you can maybe just kind of gloss over this. But focusing in that last little bit there where it talks about the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So what they estimate is during the time that Paul was there, Roughly between 8 and 15 million people lived in the province of Asia. Sound familiar? That in two years, Paul and the disciples were able to share the good news of Jesus Christ that everyone in the province heard. This gives me hope because it's possible. It is possible for everyone to hear. That was nearly 14 million people. Between 8 and 15 million, let's average it out. That's similar to what we're living in right now in our province. Paul, and they reckon about 12 disciples over two years, all the Jews and Greeks in the province of Asia heard the good news about Jesus Christ. This gives me hope that it is possible because this is what we see in uh, the book of Acts as a pattern. Jesus modeled to the disciples after Jesus uh, dies and rises again and ascends to heaven. We've got all the disciples in one place in the city of Jerusalem. And through various means, they just spread out. Some through persecution and others just for the joy of the Lord. And as they go from town to town, people are sharing the good news about Jesus. And where there was no believers, uh, people are are saved. People come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're discipled. And our whole New Testament is filled with the letters of encouragement uh, to those churches as a result of people hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us as a church? What does this mean for you and me? Well, we talk about this. The only way that people can come to faith in Jesus Christ is by hearing. The reality is I came to faith in Jesus Christ because somebody risked and told me about the hope of Jesus. Every single one of us, if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, if we are a follower of him, it's because through some medium we heard. It might have been a sermon. It might have been a family member or a friend or somebody told you. And it's always spread like that. From when it was just the disciples, soon after the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago, it was because people were telling other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's filtered down to us here in Johannesburg hearing the good news. See, people risked. People were able to tell you about that hope, 
They told you about what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ. They told you about his death. They told you about his uh, resurrection and what it means to have a relationship with him. And so as I go out uh, every single day, this is something that I'm trying to live out. And something that I'm finding every single day is when I meet people in the streets, in the malls, uh, where I'm going, and I uh, share with people the hope that I have because of Jesus. This interesting thing happens. People lean in. People are wanting to hear more because I have something that they don't have. So barring Muslims who, after they hear the hope and then realize that I'm talking to them about Jesus, there's, there's a bit of a barrier that goes up and we, we think differently and, and operate a bit differently there. But barring that, almost every single person that I come into contact with and I share with them, they want to know more about the hope that I have. Because people are living without hope and even more so because the last few years have been so incredibly difficult. People are despondent. Last week, Wednesday, uh, we were out in Katlahong. And I'd taken some people with me. And we, again, we were just out and about and just chatting to people. Came across, it was about 20 young guys that had just come out of school. They were all in matric. Rain was pouring down. We'd all gathered up under uh, this uh, little corrugated kind of roof. I got a chance to, to share with them, and I was just telling them about the hope that I have in Jesus, and it was really painful because every single one of them took drugs out of their pockets and started to, to take drugs. And they said to me, you know, Craig, I'm, I'm glad you're talking us about to hope and peace, but this is how we find peace. This life is so hard for us. This is what we have to do to find some peace. And eventually, just in chatting to them and encouraging them, about 19 guys walked away, and one guy stayed. I was able to have an incredible conversation with him, and, and he's now connected into a local church that, that we know there. But people are living without hope. We were walking, and, and three young ladies called out to us because they could see that we had Bibles. And they asked us if they could have some Bibles, and they just shared some of their stories with us. But when we get to know people and talk to people, and some of you experience that yourselves, how hard the last few years are, but you've been doing it with Jesus. How people are living this life without the hope of Christ, I don't know how they're doing it. And so this is what I really want to encourage us all with, church, this morning, is for those of us here who have come to faith in Jesus, right? We have received the greatest act of love ever known. The greatest act of love that Jesus, who while we were still enemies, he went to the cross in our place for our sins. And in his victory over death and sin and shame, defeated our greatest enemies and has reconciled us back to the Father. And so when we come to faith in him, we move from being enemies to adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, and we have hope in this life and the hope to come because we know that Jesus is coming back. We have received that, that was freely given to us as an act of love that we did not deserve. And so what I'm calling us to is to choose to love and to choose to love 
those who do not know Jesus, to choose to love those who are lost without hope in this world and this life and the life to come. See, because what we have received is an act of love. It was given to us. And when we risk and talk to a stranger about Jesus, what we don't realize is we are actually giving them an act of love. We go, oh, but the people don't want to hear. If they only knew what you were offering and what was available to them. And when we choose not to engage people who don't know, at least just share with them the hope that you have. Just to at least share with them how Jesus has changed your life. How, who you were before Jesus and what he has done and the hope that he has given you. Even just that is saying, I love you. And we see this, Luke 19, verse 41 and verse 42. Jesus is approaching the cross. He knows his time is, is near. And as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But it's now been hidden from you. Been hidden from your eyes. But I, this thing where Jesus is weeping, he's looking over the whole city, this anguish in his heart as he's crying. And he says, if you only knew what peace was offered to you. My prayer is that we would love our city of Johannesburg with this kind of angst and love. That when you understand the state of our city and understand the implications of this for those living in our city, the hopelessness that is here, that when you think about, and you know when you're driving and you see the beautiful skyline of Johannesburg, not filled with dread, but actually a pang in your heart. See how Jesus would view the city, how he would weep and go, if you only knew the peace that was offered to you, if you only knew, my prayer is that as we think about being for the world and being for the king, as you understand just everything about our churches, that eventually we are reaching out because the gospel can't stay here. It can't stay with us because it only comes by hearing. We only heard it because someone told us. And the only way the 14 million average, 13 and a half million people in our province are going to hear is if someone who loves Jesus chooses to love them and risks to tell them about the hope that they have. And so I'm calling us all to choose to love them, to kind of change the way we view our city. And not with anger and depression, but with angst and love. And to pray, Jesus, give me a heart for the city like you have for the city. God, help me to see it and, and be moved by compassion like you had compassion for everyone that you came into contact with. Because if they only knew, right? If they only knew what hope and peace and joy was available to them. And yes, it's a risk. We risk much by telling our, our people at work and our friends and our family and the people at Varsity and our colleagues. We risk. But it's an act of genuine love because to not tell them is to leave them 
in eternal hopelessness. So here's some things to think about. I love this picture here, right? It's going to come up on the screen. Isn't this one of our favorite things, right? There's an African proverb that goes, if you think you're small and can't make a difference, consider the mosquito. Why? Because living this big moves us to great emotion. Just one. And sometimes we just can't grab it. And, and we spend money and all sorts of things trying to combat this little thing. Consider the mosquito. If you, can't, if you think that you can't wade into the overwhelming facts around our city, because we have Jesus, and the gospel got from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to today. And one of my favorite stories in the gospel, or in, in the New Testament, is chapter one of uh, the New Testament letter of Colossians. Because it just very simply says, and you heard the gospel from Epaphras. And I love that because we don't know who that guy is. And he's never mentioned again. But the result is one person took the gospel to a town and their faith is known throughout the world at that time. Just one guy in obedience, loved Jesus, risked and loved people, so told them about the hope of Jesus. Many people believed and their faith was spoken about throughout the world. Mosquito, right? Someone can make a difference for the sake of the gospel. Here's some other things that you can do just as a way of a lifestyle of this. The one is to pray. Okay, that's not cliched. In the book of Acts, in around chapter 4, there's a lot of persecution. Guys are being arrested for their faith. Guys are being imprisoned, and the church is uh, quite concerned. And they gathered in a prayer meeting while some people have been arrested for telling people about the gospel. Do you know what they pray? They pray, God, give us boldness. They pray for their fear to be overcome so that they continue telling people about Jesus. So don't underestimate prayer because we also see in Acts chapter 1 is when Jesus is telling them that the Holy Spirit is going to come, it says that you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So it is important that we, one, pray for boldness. Remember I spoke about the fear tension that we all have? It's not easy. Some of us have maybe never told someone about the hope we have in Jesus. And that's scary. I've been there. It's still daunting to go and chat to someone who you've never met, you don't have a relationship with, but you've got a few moments with them to introduce your story and the hope that you have in Jesus. It's a step that I have to overcome nearly every single day. But I pray, God, give me boldness today. Holy Spirit, give me boldness to be your witness everywhere that I go. Second thing that I pray for is opportunities. When I pray in the morning, I know what I'm going to be doing through the day, that I'm going to be seeing people. And because I know the stats, it is very likely that I'm going to encounter someone who does not have the hope of Jesus. And so I pray, Jesus, help me to be aware of the opportunities. Help me to be aware of people that I'm going to come into into contact with. And so then what I do, and I'm just sharing with you some of, some of my things, is I've got a, a note open uh, on my phone. 
And it's uh, one that I just keep updating of people that I meet in my, uh, in my goings. And so I like to be a creature of habits, and I'm building relationships with people, and I just keep an update of their names and what they're going through, and I pray for them, and then I go and follow up. An example of this is my barber, is I choose to go to the same barber. I know some of you guys, this is going to fall a bit flat as a, you don't have barbers anymore, but just find another opportunity. So I go, <laughs> this is a bit of a low blow. So, so I go to the same barber. And when I went to my barber, I obviously got his name, but I didn't want to forget, so I wrote his name down in this uh, note on my phone. In chatting, I just remembered a few key things and said, I'd like to just pray for you. What can I pray for? And then when I was going for another haircut, obviously I made sure that I was going to go to the same barber. But then because I pray for opportunities and I knew I was going to be spending some time with him and he couldn't get away from me, is that I was praying that whole week, God, I'm praying for Sammy and, and I'd pray, God, for his heart that he would receive this, that you give me an opportunity, that you would go ahead of me. And just praying every single day, every single day for about seven days leading up to going in. And even as I'm walking into the barber, no one else around, there Sammy is. And to greet him by name, to remember him, we sit down. And in a few short minutes, the haircut stopped because we were having a conversation about real hope. And eventually, just he actually started to call some other people. He's like, look, I know some people who need to hear this as well. And it was the longest haircut I've ever had. <laughs> and eventually, it did get done. But it was just this wonderful opportunity that because I was praying, God, give me an opportunity. And that intentionality, knowing that I was going to go to this person that I'd been very intentionally seeking out. Uh, I have that with a, a number of Seattle baristas I like my coffee, and so I try and go to the same people. I try to go to the same petrol pump. I try to go to the same shops, uh, and I've got a list of people's names that I just remember, and I review, and I pray for them, and I pray for opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. So let's not um, diminish what God does when we pray for opportunities. And then get yourself equipped. This is important because the one tension is, is Craig, I'm not a strong Christian. And I can understand that. But what we can't use as an excuse is uh, that we haven't been equipped or there aren't opportunities for us to be equipped. Right? Steve has written an incredible book. And if you haven't got it, get it. Because it deals with how we can deal with people's uh, rejections and uh, some of the things that are hard to believe about our faith. And that is just an incredible equipping tool for people that we come across in your workplace who might have objections as to, well, I don't trust the Bible, or how can I trust this, or what about pain and suffering, and some of the things that maybe hinder them from believing. It's a resource that is available to you. We did a sermon series on that that's on our archives. There's some opportunities over here. There's going to be Emma and Emil. They're going to be at the front. Uh, there's an opportunity at the end of May to get involved in a training course with Operation Mobilization on how to be effective in sharing your faith and to get some good training. There are so many things available for us. So we might say, well, Craig, I'm not a strong Christian. Okay, I recognize the tension, but get yourself equipped. 
It's not an option for us to stay like that. Too many people are living without hope for me not to step forward and get resources and start to equip myself to be able to tell people and give a reason for people to people about the hope I have in Jesus. It's actually not uh, negotiable actually for us. And then lastly, to encourage you is just to take a step into what God is doing. And I very briefly want to share with you some of the things that we are doing. There are a few Riversiders who every Wednesday head out into a suburb of Soweto called Zola. And there we run some discipleship groups with people who are recovering drug addicts. They come out of their NA meetings and we gather and we encourage them, we're discipling them, we're training them. And then we also spend some time, we've done it, where we head out into the streets just around us to introduce people to the hope of Jesus. And there's just some incredible stuff happening where people had no hope and are now leading groups themselves. And, and God is working powerfully in Soweto. There's an opportunity for you to potentially come and get involved. There are a lot of people who need to be discipled and introduced to Jesus I mentioned Jackson's Drift, two kilometers from here. We go in there every Thursday. And we're working there and 14 different languages, sometimes three different translators that we need to communicate the gospel. But there is so many people there who have never been given a Bible. They've never owned a Bible. They don't know Jesus. They've never been taught how to um, live a life of faith and walk with Jesus right here. And then we also do cross-border mission trips. And we hopefully are going to be able to do one this year. You'll remember a couple of years ago, we went to Botswana. But there are so many opportunities. Come and see what's being done globally with the persecuted church and with unreached people groups. But take a step. Get yourself equipped. But more importantly, make a decision to say, I'm going to choose to love those who are not here this morning. I'm going to choose to love those who have no hope. So I'm going to pray, Jesus, I'm so thankful for all that you have done for us and through us. It is not by chance that we're here. We're here because we believe in you, but we believe in you because someone told us. And so we have faith because we heard the gospel. Jesus, I pray that you would do something in us, that you would help us become aware of how many people are lost. How many people are living without the hope that we have? And help us recognize that you have placed us in our office parks, in our universities, in our families, to be the one that tells them about the hope that we have in you. Help us to overcome our tensions and fears. Help us to lay aside the fear of our city and Jesus replace it with the love for our city. Jesus, I want to pray for anyone who is feeling inadequate as a believer this morning. Who has maybe believed the lie that they cannot tell people because they're not strong enough or good enough. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind them that they are good enough. Because they're an adopted son or daughter of you and a co-heir with you, Jesus. That they have a story. No matter how insignificant they might think it is, that there is power in our story because, Jesus, you moved every single one of us from being enemies to sons and daughters. And so that you would just squash those tensions, those fears, and make us aware and help us to risk for you and grow our love 
for everyone we come into contact with Jesus. In your holy name, amen.